Greetings, productive programmer. Massive job layoffs taking place in November. I'm going to tell you exactly why that's happening and how to protect yourself from getting laid off from your job, as well as what to do if you do lose your job. We're going to take a look at three awesome AI projects that are taking place at Meta, Google, and the controversial one taking place at GitHub. We're also going to take a look at two awesome new programs that GitHub came out with, along with two major security flaws that are taking place across the web development community that you should be aware of. And I'm going to tell you exactly why you should not buy the new Apple M2 chip. Don't do it. And finally, we're going to take a look at two awesome developments that have taken place, one in the Python community and the other in the JavaScript community that you should be aware of that happened this month. Welcome to the Productive Programmer Podcast, where we help you streamline tech news and education so that you can stay productive, motivated, and energized. Let's jump in. There is no denying that November marks one of the largest months of layoffs that have taken place across the tech industry, with layoffs staggering into the 30,000 number of employees being laid off. We can see a steady trend that just skyrocketed in November. Amazon has actually laid off over 10,000 employees this month and just recently along with Meta laying off over 11,000 employees. So why exactly are these companies just laying off employees? Well, Mark Zuckerberg says that COVID led to a rapid growth of online and a surge of e-commerce products that led to oversized revenue growth. So there was an initial boom that took place after COVID, and that led to an oversized market and oversized growth. And now things are just slowing down and they're having to let people go. And so this is catching up with all the companies. And this is from Mark Zuckerberg himself telling us exactly why he's decided to let everybody go. And he does a really nice job of taking full responsibility for everything that happened. I think that he gave a very sincere letter, but I'll link to this article and you can take a look at it and you can let me know exactly what your thoughts are. Additionally, Uber, let's go 6,700 employees, Microsoft, nearly 1,000 and Twitter let off 3,700 employees, which is no surprise that Elon had quite a bit of a hostile takeover. So what do you do if you lost your job and what do you do to prevent losing your job? Well, I have a solution for you. Whether you have lost your job or you fear that you may lose your job or you just want to take the proactive step to protect yourself, there's a couple things that you can do and that's to consider how you can expand your skills and make yourself more valuable in new ways. And first of all, Make sure that if you do lose your job, that you find a way to cope with it. You know, your friends and family, your support network, all that stuff is extremely important. You have to remember that losing your job is not the end of your career. It is simply the beginning of a new journey in your life. So definitely stay positive, stay motivated. If you don't have a job, take the time to go and eat a balanced diet, work out, catch up on some of the things that you haven't been able to do lately. Make sure you take care of yourself emotionally. That's my first advice. Then you have to get serious and you have to take a look at what are the frameworks for 2023? How can you strengthen your skill set? If you want to make sure that you're competitive, even if you don't lose your job, you want to consider how can you strengthen your skill set? And one of the ways that you can do that is to consider what are the best options for remote work? Since remote work is so popular now, you have a lot of new options at your disposal and you can really jump into any framework you want. And there's so many new opportunities. Some of the top frameworks for 2023, according to Code Motion are number one, Spring, and that is if you are a Java developer. Additionally, if you are a Python developer, you have the Django platform at your disposal. There are a lot of companies using Django, including Instagram. Additionally, if you're a Python developer, you have the Flask framework. You could consider playing around with both frameworks and becoming comfortable in both. That gives you even more flexibility with one skill set. So knowing Python gives you the power and flexibility to become an expert in two of the most popular frameworks, which is Flask and Django. So those are two great options. Now, 
if you're a PHP developer, heavily considering getting into Laravel is a very good option. So if you're a PHP developer and you don't currently work in a framework like Laravel, well, it's one of the most popular. Of course, you can further strengthen your skill set in PHP by just simply stepping into some of the other frameworks. And additionally, JavaScript is extremely powerful now. You can use the Node framework. Node is used by 800,000 live websites. So that's pretty amazing. Node is actually coming up close to a million live websites worldwide that use it as a framework. So if you know JavaScript and you want to strengthen your JavaScript skills, learning Node.js is extremely good option for you as well as the Express Framework to set up your RESTful APIs. And it's being used by PayPal, Walmart, IBM. So you have a lot of options at your disposal. The best remote programming languages to learn as well is JavaScript. And that's because there's so many frameworks for JavaScript, whether it's React, Node, Vue, or Angular. There's so many frameworks being used by companies with JavaScript. And since JavaScript can be used for front-end, back-end now, there's a lot of power at your disposal. I just know in JavaScript. So definitely consider getting stronger at JavaScript and learning all of your sugar syntax and all the latest features of ES6 and beyond. Additionally, I recently put out an article which I talked about three great resources to further strengthen your skill set in JavaScript that are quick reads. So definitely check that out. Python being the number two most popular language to use for remote work. Python is the number two option for remote work to open up the most amount of opportunities for you in the remote jobs industry. Definitely really powerful for things like AI, machine learning, data science. So Python developers, you have the ability to go and do web development as well. So Python opens up so many new packages and options and areas of programming to specialize in. It's definitely a language to learn and you can go down so many different paths. And then we have PHP, which continues to be a very strong language. Although I would say personally, this is my own opinion, I think that PHP is slowly becoming less and less of a being used as the newest technology for new options. So if somebody's going to develop a new web development project, that's unlikely that they would pick PHP as their first choice. That's becoming less popular. However, there are a ton of things out there that still use PHP and they have an existing code base and they rely on PHP. So PHP, if you're a PHP developer, then it's definitely a useful skill set for remote work, especially because WordPress is still such a popular framework and it relies on PHP. You can always find WordPress jobs, especially great for freelancers. And then PHP has other frameworks that are popular like Zend and Symfony. And we touched briefly on Java, but also there are Swift, Ruby, and a couple others. So with there being a lot of turmoil in the job market, it definitely benefits to just expand your skill set and dip your toes into different avenues so that you have more skills at your disposal. And even if you don't utilize those skills, just having them on your resume will make you a more valuable fit. And it will also communicate to your employer that you're a valuable asset because you have and you know more knowledge than just one particular language. You have more skills at your disposal and you could showcase that you can do more things. Imagine it from your employer's perspective, if they have the option to let somebody go that just knows PHP or let somebody go that knows PHP and they know another framework like Node, well, you just because you have that skill set, you might be considered the better option to stay on board. And that can also help you if you need to apply for multiple jobs. Well, now you can apply for Node.js jobs and you can apply for PHP jobs. So really, you want to make sure that you have more skills at your disposal. It just gives you more options, more opportunities. Even though there's a ton of layoffs happening and we saw that Meta was laying off 11,000 developers this month, uh, Meta continues to buy out artificial intelligence agencies. So they recently bought out Audio Analytic as a startup that has AI-driven sound recognition software, and they've been continuing to buy out other options from Europe. So even though they are 
letting developers go, they are definitely still growing and they are still sweeping up the market share and they are growing as a company. So companies are still growing even though they're letting their, their developers go. So they, there's this influx of growth into the web uh, in since COVID and they're having to let people go, but they are not stopping. They are continuing to work. Additionally, Meta, even though they're letting all their developers go, they are also still in the process of porting over millions of lines of code from Java to Kotlin. So maybe you want to consider learning Kotlin as it's becoming considered a better alternative to Java code. And Kotlin is gaining popularity in terms of its productivity and its benefits. So we see Meta basically converting all of their code base from Java over to Kotlin. So that could be a great opportunity for you to learn, even if you're not planning to go work at Meta. But it's also really interesting to see that even though these companies are letting massive amounts amounts of developers go, they're still uh, doing a lot of legwork. And uh, even though a lot of developers are leaving, there's still a lot of developers left behind doing a lot of work. So I mean, converting everything from Java over to Kotlin at Meta. Very interesting. Speaking of Meta, I saw two very interesting articles about AI. One of them was that Meta has an AI that they have built, which is a neural theorem prover. And it's actually solved 10 international math Olympioid problems. That's five times more than any previous artificial intelligence AI system. System. I thought that was a really fascinating development in AI. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that we are getting to the point where mathematical AI systems are starting to be able to solve mathematical problems that typically a human would solve. And it's interesting to think what kind of problems will be solved by AI that humans can't solve? What kind of mathematical problems that we've had written down for years that we've been scratching our heads and trying to think about and come up with the equation? Will an in our artificial math problem solving technology just give us the answer for? That would be really interesting to see. And it's kind of uh, interesting to see how artificial intelligence is driving mathematical theorems. So very, very interesting. Also, really interesting AI technology. Google released an article this month talking about robots that can write their own code. So they've developed a couple robots that actually have studied programming languages, and they have figured out how to use their artificial intelligence. The robots have learned how to use the information they've learned to write their own code to solve certain problems, and they have a really interesting article. I'll go ahead and link this one as well. This is a really interesting read, and you, if you want to know more about how robots are learning to code themselves, but Google is working on AI that can code itself, and Meta is working on AI that can go ahead and solve mathematical problems. So we are seeing some more interesting uses come out of the AI industry. However, we're also seeing that certain projects are backfiring when it comes to artificial intelligence. One of those being GitHub, which is facing lawsuits over its Copilot AI. So GitHub has actually studied a bunch of code and it is using artificial intelligence to help recommend code snippets in their code assisters when developers are, are coding. But What's happened is that the artificial intelligence has recommended code snippets to people that have been under open source licenses. And this has created legal issues because if that code is being used outside of the open source project, well, now you're in a violation of the open source community's terms and conditions, the licenses such as the MIT license and other licenses that are for open source community that GitHub supports. So this is a very interesting development 
development because if you are using GitHub's Copilot AI coding assistant, you might actually be stealing code that is supposed to be under an open source license. So that's a very interesting development uh, and it shows that there are some risks with utilizing artificial intelligence uh, when it comes to uh, writing code. And um, I thought that was an interesting contrast to Google's article where they are showing that robots are writing their own code while we are seeing what happens when artificial intelligence suggests code in their coding assistance to other developers and it might be under license. So I thought that was an interesting comparison of two scenarios that both have AIs writing code and the differences that can take place depending on the context of how they're being used. But GitHub also has some really good developments taking place. GitHub has two new programs. They have a GitHub Accelerator and this GitHub Accelerator is directly funding 20 developers globally who maintain open source projects. So over the course of 10 weeks, GitHub is rolling out 20,000 cash tippins and mentorships to fellows in the program. This is really cool. So GitHub has now financially contributed some monies uh, to accelerator programs in their open source community. So one of the things that you could do if you are into open source projects and you have something in your development, you can start to take a look at how GitHub may help you with a GitHub accelerator to help get your open source project off the ground. So this could be something that's worth looking into to see how you go about qualifying for GitHub accelerators and how do you get grants for your open source projects. Additionally, GitHub has released their GitHub Fund in partnership with M12, Microsoft's venture, and this is helping companies in open source as well. The GitHub Fund is supporting over $10 million in the M12 GitHub Fund, and the investment focuses will be in open source developer tools at the seed stage. So this is going to be partnering companies early on, and it's going to help the founders as their roots of the community form and help the projects take shape. So this is interesting. So two projects from GitHub that help support your open source projects financially when you're trying to get them off the ground. So this is something you might want to look into to help support your open source projects. And this is going to be something interesting to watch, even if you don't have your own open source project. I'm curious to see what companies get the Accelerator and the M12 funding, and I'm curious to see what those projects are up to, because I'm sure that GitHub is going to back some really interesting open source projects that are going to have some really noble purposes or some huge benefit to society. So I'm curious to see what those projects are going to be. I'm curious to see who gets that funding. And two major security flaws that you should be aware of, .git folders being exposed publicly is a, is a huge issue. So there are millions of .git folders that are being exposed by mistake. So nearly 2 million. And if you have any projects that you have publicly available, you need to make sure that your S3 buckets and wherever you're storing your projects, you want to make sure that you're dot git folder is not exposed because when you do that it opens up the entire commit history of everything that you've done that worked in the project and there's actually two million instances i guess that uh, the dot git folder is exposed and that is obviously a major security flaw for lots of lots of companies and amazingly the statistic is that an average size company with 400 developers so just 400 developers will have over 13,000 secrets 1,000 of which will be unique that are going to be inside their private repositories. So if you have a private project, you need to be extremely careful that you don't accidentally expose any of your secrets in your commit history. And if your .git folder gets released, even if you don't actively have your secrets in your current project, if there's anything that took place in the history of your project, somebody can find that and that could be a huge security flaw. 
So this is a really good read. I'm going to link to the full security article so that you can read through how you can go about making sure your .git folder is nice and secure if you have a private repository. And this will help protect you from being one of the statistics of the 2 million repositories that have that .git folder exposed. Additionally, recent Hacker Noon blog, scanning 26 million domains for exposed .env files, SDCAT was able to find over 200 exposed .env files. So you need to be extremely careful with your .git files as well as your .env files. Although .git issues are a lot more common, it appears. But just to make sure that you're covering on all your basis is. I'm going to also link this security article by SDCAT. I know some of these topics sound like common sense. However, it is sometimes the common things that we overlook when it comes to security. So definitely check on your .env file as well as your .git file and make sure that you are secure. And if there's any secrets in your git commit history that you make sure you update those security secrets so that they are no longer relevant to the git history so you want to make sure you change your secrets to secure yourself don't buy the new m2 chip that is my recommendation it might not actually be the best so it turns out that the m2 chip is actually much more performant than the m1 chip however even though the m2 chip has a greater number than m1 it turns out that there's a big difference between the m1 chip and the m1 pro chip and you may find that the m1 pro chip actually significantly still outperforms the m2 chip so although the m2's gpu performance may be 35 percent faster than the m1 the m1 pro the M1 Pro actually has way more memory bandwidth and is twice as fast as the M1. So you can still expect that the M1 Pro is about 40% faster than the M2 chip. So don't be fooled this Christmas season by the M2 chip and accidentally splurge on something which might not be as performant as the M1 Pro. Just a consideration that you may want to take in your research to determine if you should be buying that new Apple MacBook as you enter the holiday season. So please be aware and do your due diligence. Do some research and just make sure that you make the right decision. Should you go with the M1 Pro or should you go with the M2? That is something that you may want to consider. And finally, two amazing developments that have taken place, one in the Python community and one in the JavaScript community that you are not going to want to miss with JavaScript community, a huge breakthrough there. But with Python, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, that Python came out with 3.11, which has made some amazing, amazing speed improvements for the language. However, in our previous article, we looked at the Python documentation and I talked about a couple of talking points. I found an excellent article for you on testdriven.io that I'm going to link to that actually breaks down a lot of these concepts into really nice small chunks that also have nice code snippets. It's going to show you exactly why Python 3.11 is faster than ever. And you're going to see some examples of the faster runtime taking place. You'll be able to take a look at some of the improvements with the type hints. There's some great code snippets that show you the type hints taking place, as well as the better error messages that come with that, exception notes, and a whole bunch of other code snippets that really drive the point home and show you some of the nice new benefits that come with Python 3.11. So although we talked about that before and we went through the documentation a little bit and took a look at some of the benefits of 3.11, I think this article is really nice in a short three minute, five minute read 
that you guys can get some benefit out of. And I'm excited to share with you one of the biggest developments that's taking place in November. I'm super excited about this. This is amazing news. It got me really excited when I saw this, that Deno 1.28 stabilizes the NPM compatibility, which means you now have access to 1.3 million NPM modules in Deno. So if you're not familiar with Deno, let me just fill you in. So the creator of Node.js basically left Node.js saying that he was unhappy with the way that he finished his project with Node.js, which is pretty funny because it ended up becoming one of the most popular frameworks for uh, backend development in general, as well as just an amazing extension of JavaScript's capabilities. But the creator of Node.js, he came out and he said that he wanted to start a new project called Deno. This was a long time ago. Uh, but Deno has never really taken off in the same popularity as Node.js, which is surprising, even though it's founded by the same creator. But Great news here is that Deno 1.28 actually stabilizes NPM compatibility. So you can now import all of your NPM modules into Deno. So I'm curious to see if this is going to help drive some more growth into Deno because it's going to be easier to use the NPM and it's going to be safer than ever to use the NPM packages with Deno. So this is a great, great improvement with Deno, and I'm hopeful that we're going to see a lot of the Node.js community maybe move over to utilizing Deno instead of Node.js, especially since it's founded by the same person. And you can read this article on Deno.com, and then Ryan Dahl, who is actually the creator of Deno, is also linked to this article. I'll go ahead and link that in the description. But this is a huge, huge development by the Deno community. And I'm really interested to see if this is going to drive even more growth into Deno as we continue into 2023 and beyond. And that's all for this episode, but you can find more content to help you stay productive, motivated, and energized by heading over to my homepage, smashing that subscribe button to be notified when the next episode drops. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Stay productive, productive programmer.